We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Report, Rotoviz Radio News Show covering the serious and mocking the ridiculous NFL news of the last week. I'm Blair Andrews. My co-host is Hassan Rahim. Hassan, how's it going? You know, living the dream. Uh, week 15 is always a little bittersweet here. Uh, but you know what? We've got a banger of a guest to close this one out. So let's uh, let's get right to it. That's right. Exactly. Uh, we've got uh, Mr. Zero running back himself, co-owner of Rotoviz, Sean Siegel joining us to uh, discuss, uh, well, I mean, you've heard me talking about our co-owned main event team a lot. Um, la- when I last looked at the main event leaderboard, Sean, you had two teams, I think, in the top 30. So this is a good season for you, right? It has been. It's been pretty exciting to watch the last couple of weeks transpire. We We felt comfortable and confident going in that that zero running back style would work. That in some of these other formats, the single elite running back would work. And it's been a lot of fun, too, because the, the team that Colin and I drafted for Rotoviz overtime uh, with Pat and Pete and those fellows is currently in the top 35 in the FPC championship. So, yeah, nothing to complain about today. A bunch of teams with 185-plus points. So, yeah, one week to go. and And... I mean, there's still plenty of ground to make up, but you couldn't ask for a much better day than the one we had today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 just to, just to jump back on this a little bit, let's talk about some zero RB candidates who completely crushed their early round counterparts. Right, you got uh, JD McKissick with his 26 points and Sylvan Ahmed <laughs> with his 25 points, outscoring everyone not named Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, and Aaron Jones as it comes to being an early, you know, one of those top three round picks i guess if you want to include that uh and expand that out to top five you probably you get you know you get tony pollard in there and a handful of other guys outscoring people like josh jacobs jonathan taylor camara leonard fournette um you know so 
I mean, really, like, Sean, has this been, like, just the greatest zero RB year since 2015? Or is it the greatest zero RB year of all time? I think it's probably the best since 2015. And there are some ways in which it's been even better with some of these wide receiver performances that we've gotten. Um, Blair and I have been lucky, but we've also been good. I think in a way we've been doing this without our number one pick, who is Julio Jones. Obviously Julio got hurt, but the idea here is that we want to have six top 15, top 20-ish wide receivers. And even with the Will Fuller suspension, we were able to trot out today, AJ Brown, Calvin Ridley, DeAndre Hopkins. And, you know, that still leaves us with Stephon Diggs from the other night. And so when you're able to to roll those guys out and see the big numbers from them, we talk every year about, you know, the, who's going to be the guy who wins the whole tournament. And we've seen Christian McCaffrey do it. We've seen Le'Veon Bell do it. We've seen Todd Gurley do it. But this season has been a little more balanced. People were hoping, I think, for Derrick Henry, or at least his owners were, and you know, two very good weeks, a good week again today, but maybe not gapping some of these receivers the way that running back heavy drafters were hoping. I wrote a piece for the site a couple of weeks ago talking about the fact that wide receivers really have held their own during the fantasy playoffs in terms of putting up big scores. And today was another example of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think really if there's only one thing about today that I would want to complain about, it's the performance we got from TJ Hawkinson who caught only two passes for 18 yards in the Lions 46-25 loss to the Titans he actually entered the week as the tight end three overall in FFPC scoring so Sean I mean are you feeling confident about starting him next week is this more of a blip or do you think there's any reason for concern I am, although, uh, like you said, and this is a huge missed opportunity, really heartbreaking. You pull up the strength of schedule uh, tool there, and you see that this week against Tennessee projected to be a huge game for him, one of the really good matchups along with that Chicago matchup that he's had twice. But someone who, you know, you look through his schedule and you see red, 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 and despite that, like you said, he's been the, the tight end three. He's got eight tight end one finishes in 13 weeks here. One of the reasons why I would still be confident, and I have to, you know, just note that I haven't watched this game beginning to end like I have a lot of the, the games this week already. And so I'm not clear on how he got so completely wiped out in the second half there, but he's got 8.8 targets per game over the last four coming into today. I think that's a better uh, indication or indicator for what we're likely to see these last couple of weeks what you're going to see in week 16 for your fantasy championship than today. Maybe that's a little bit hopeful, but he just looks too good and the Lions need him. I mean, they put up some points today. They got big performances from DeAndre Swift, from Marvin Jones, who will throw, you know, one or two of those <laughs> in per season. But Hawkinson is the guy on their roster who needs to be that star. He needs to be their Travis Kelsey. You know, if they want to do anything over these next couple of weeks and, you know, I'm not sure that they do, but it's going to have to go through him. Yeah, the the fourth quarter I think went quite awry for the for the Lions. They got completely blanked by Tennessee. They're uh, being outscored twenty two to seven. Uh, you know, a few interceptions were thrown. Um, uh, Tennessee just continued to pour on the points there, and then the Lions deciding that they got to start throwing it to wide receivers decided to throw it to guys like. Mo Sanu and Quintus Cephas and Danny Amendola. Like, I mean, uh, I guess that's one way if you want to lose, right? Uh, you just utilize those guys instead of Hawkinson. 
Yeah, I mean, the Lions are trying to get as good a pick as they, they can here. Matthew Stafford, uh, he can make all the throws, so he can get the ball down to those guys. He can even get the ball to someone, you know, like Mohamed Sanu, but th- that's not... That's not what's going to work for them. And, and I think the thing that's so exciting here is that Hawkinson, as good as he has been as a redraft player, uh, he's got gigantic dynasty upside. And, you know, Travis Kelsey having himself a historic season, but, you know, in his 30s, right? And so when you look at the two of them, I think that if you were offered Hawkinson for Travis Kelsey, this offseason, I think you have to look at that very, very carefully. You know, you might lose in 2021, but you're going to win overall, even if it costs you a title next year, because TJ Hawkinson in this tight end landscape where there aren't that many guys you can really count on week to week, he's going to be a mega scorer in this offense. Going to really be the guy, I think, to, tra- to challenge George Kittle here over the next four or five years. Yeah, one thing looking back at uh, just Detroit's schedule, I know Kenny Galladay hasn't played since week eight, I want to say. Um, do you see any uh, any limitation on Hawkinson's targets with Galladay back, or uh, do you think that they could they could possibly make the offense stronger to the point where it really doesn't matter? I think we would have to look at it and see it. Helping him. I mean, there's, there's always a scenario where the Lions could do things inefficiently and <laughs> take his, you know, take the targets for Galladay away from Hawkinson. But this needs to be a team a little bit like the Chiefs where Kelsey and Tyreek Hill play off of each other so well, right? The threat that each one of them provides makes it harder to, to cover and really shut down the other. I think that a little bit, we may have seen that today where you're seeing those targets go to some of those other guys. When you see a big game from Marvin Jones, you know that there was not someone out there really drawing targets in such a way or drawing coverage that would allow Hawkinson to dominate, right? So if the Lions are going to some of these other receivers, it means they've got an inefficient offense. If they go with Galladay and Hawkinson, and as good as Galladay is, I don't know that he is the level of player who's going to necessarily, you know, challenge into that top five-ish range where you're just worried that they're taking so many targets that the other guys are going to get squeezed out. Yeah. And the one guy, I mean, the interesting thing here is that Galladay, I believe is a free agent at the end of the season. Uh, I hope the Lions do bring him back. Uh, but the other guy who they do need to get going a little bit more in the receiving game, we've, we've talked about this a little bit more and he had five targets today is uh, DeAndre Swift. Um what what are you looking or who are you looking to send off to try and acquire Swift if you need a running back here? That's an interesting one. I think that, you know, we were talking a little bit before the show, Hassan, you were talking about how you thought that Swift was going to go really early in 2021 redraft formats. In the article that I wrote on the site, sort of projecting first round for redraft and first round for dynasty, he was in my first round there for redraft. And I agree with you that he could be a guy who everybody looks at as sort of the next thing, that guy who could challenge to be the uh, double-double guy, right? 10 rushing ET, EP, 10 receiving EP, and, you know, average in that 20-point-per-game range. And so uh, really any older type of running back, I think you could make the switch here. And then when we start to get outside the top 15 
wide receivers, then I think it starts to get interesting. I think those top 15 wide receivers, you just have to hold on to because they offer so much value in terms of not just for one year, but this block of years that you're going to get that dominance. Yeah, I'm I'm genuinely not looking to move any of the young wide receivers. Um, I think they're very undervalued by the community in general. Um, and, you know, run, running back productions, like uh, young running back productions almost always undervalued or is never valued appropriately. Uh, just ask me, I tried to offload Aaron Jones two off seasons, seasons in a row, and um, I'm told he's not very good by others looking to try and buy in on him. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what makes him not good. I guess 30 fantasy points is not good enough for everyone, but um, I, I, I definitely am with you in that Swift is definitely, I do see him going early. I also will contend that, you know, despite us seeing a very good zero running back here, I am of the belief that the running back heavy approaches are here to stay. I don't know if either, if either of you feel that way though. Blair, what do you think? Are we going to see these running back heavy drafts go? I, I would expect to see the top, you know, four or five guys continue to be running backs. One of the things is that people are gambling that everyone else is going to play it incorrectly as well. And you can get these type of rosters where you go running back, running back. And then if you hit wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, and then filter in a couple of these breakout type of tight ends. Now, most of the tight ends have underperformed, and so you're not hardly getting anything there. If you can get in that range where you have a Hawkinson, if you have a Font, there aren't guys like that for this next season. So in, in mm-hmm. terms of constructing your overall draft, you still potentially run into some problems. I do think that we're going to see a little bit less of the robust running back. We're going to see a little bit less, even in formats like the FFPC, where you could theoretically start four guys, and it might help you on occasion. You're going to see people not drafting that way. Now, Curtis and I actually played four running backs today because we got Pollard in there. We got uh, J.K. Dobbins in there to go with some of the other guys, and that worked out. But they need to be things that you hit on later, right? When you're going with that really running back heavy approach, the total number of points you have embedded in your team is just so much lower than your competitors that you're really then hoping for a very narrow path to the title. So I think that we're going to continue to see running back in the first round, but I think that two, three, four, five range is going to be lighter than it was this year. I think we're going to move back to that 2017, 2018, maybe 2018 ish time period. And, and that's still far too running back heavy if you want to optimize your draft, but it's something where you could see a little bit of a reaction to what's happened this year. You could, and at the same time, you could see people playing some of these single elite running back teams and say, okay, well, there is at least an argument for that. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, you were saying, Blair? No, I was just going to agree, basically. I think that's right. I mean, you're still seeing, even though you have the James Robinsons, you know, coming on and being a top five running back, still, you know, the guys who are scoring 300 points are the, the Camaras and Cooks, people who uh, you had to draft early. So I still think um, we're going to see people chasing those early running backs although i think you know it was interesting this last season you could go you could have a first round where almost no wide receivers were taken except for maybe michael thomas and um i don't know if that is likely to happen again but maybe i mean you have tyreek hill putting up you know also these 300 point uh point season already adams is pretty close so i think both of those guys going in the first round, 
at least probably makes sense. So it might be a little bit more receiver heavy than it was last year. But I mean, last year was just, or this previous off season was just crazy in terms of, in terms of how running back heavy the first round was. Yeah, it was actually brilliant watching people bypass uh, Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams to draft Joe Mixon and Miles Sanders. Like that's just was never going to work out. <laughs> um, we talked about him a little bit last week, but Sean, we really want to get your thoughts here on, you know, Minnesota Vikings wide, wide receiver Justin Jefferson, who got, you know, eight passes for 104 yards in, in the Vikings' 33-27 loss to the Bears. He broke Randy Moss's record of 69 nice receptions, and he picked up several more big catches to extend the franchise rec- record. You know, Sean, just, just a couple of weeks ago, um, you wrote that dynasty drafters should consider Jefferson as early as the 105. You know, what does Jefferson need to do to become your overall dynasty wide receiver one here? Yeah, so he would be the in range at the 105. I in my last update, I had him as the wide receiver three. That would be behind Metcalf and Hill. I think that he might already be there, right? We've seen the Seahawks now go through the stretch where things have normalized a little bit. We're seeing their uh not necessarily their normal offense, but just the foibles of going through a full season, facing some of these better defenses, not having everything go to plan, and then your head coach also make these same kinds of blunders where now maybe we don't attack nearly as much. We have a lot more running plays. And so the receivers are are down again in volume. Now, when you're looking at Metcalf, I mean, you're looking at a top 10 guy, right? He's a superstar with unstoppable size speed combination who's attached to a star quarterback. You're not going to drop him a long way. But we're now in the range where when you look at Hill's age, when you look at the fact that you still are going to get some of those games in there where they're Travis Kelsey games instead, what Justin Jefferson has done in a in a season and on a team where you have Dalvin Cook getting the lion's share of the offensive opportunities, you have Adam Thielen working as potentially even the, the wide receiver one. Now, how that role works out week to week, now that we've gotten to midseason and they see what Jefferson is, it's a little bit more up in the air. But Adam Thielen a star, right? So to be able to carve out these numbers with two other real alpha fantasy players and just elite NFL players, it, it's just, it's shocking. And I think that it does illustrate this fact that while we do want to be aware of how volume plays a big role in fantasy scoring and there are sometimes opportunities where, you know, a player gets hurt or everything has to run through one guy and that can help you, there's also this value to having other stars on your team so that defenses can't take you away. You mentioned this game that Jefferson had. This gets him to 1,182 yards, which means he's just a little over 40 yards behind Anquan Wolden in terms of the best rookie yardage season since the turn of the century. And, I mean, it just it, the sky is the limit for him. He's pulling away from Amari Cooper, pulling away from A.J. Green, you know, Odell Beckham is a little bit apples and oranges comparison because he had those injuries at the beginning and he finished so fast and with so many touchdowns that his rookie season actually stands as one of the better overall seasons for any player. But Jefferson now, at the age that he is, and I think that we have to give a lot of credit back to Blair, who was all over Jefferson in the Dynasty Command Center rookie guide, who was all over him on the site, talking about how he was the one guy from this class who really checked all the boxes and I mean, you think about how good this class is and that he could be that far still above them. Well, not that far above them, but someone who was able to be even more well-rounded than they were. And, uh, you know, so I think that you can look at him 
as a very convincing overall wide receiver one now. I think the guys in that range that he has to compete with are going to be some rookies like C.D. Lamb, like T. Higgins, and then someone we saw another good game from today after a month just tearing things apart in A.J. Brown. Yeah, yeah. AJ Brown is the other the other guy I was coming to mind as like one of these one of these guys you'd have in the conversation for wide receiver one overall. I mean like you said, what Jefferson has done is pretty crazy so far. He's uh, I mean, coming into this game already a top ten wide receiver on the season. And um you know, we've done a lot of research on the site about what to expect in terms of year two from these from these guys in terms of the opportunity growth and uh, uh, secondary breakouts and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think there's <laughs> really this guy's the limit for Jefferson. It would be hard not to have him as the wide receiver one. Um, one thing Hassan and I have talked about kind of just like in passing is how, um, which maybe I know you play some Debbie, so you might have a take on this. We We saw Jefferson playing with Jamar Chase at LSU. And Chase looked like by far the better player. And then Jefferson comes into the NFL and is, uh, just on fire. So it's kind of, uh, it's hard to like calibrate our enthusiasm now for this upcoming class. Um, can they be as good as the one we just saw? Uh, obviously not, but you know, it's, uh, how are you kind of evaluating this class in relation to guys you're excited about, uh, coming out? It's interesting you mentioned that because it's it's almost impossible not to have that just crazy enthusiasm now for Chase seeing what Jefferson's done. Mm -hmm. We had some of these teams with multiple elite players on them. We have Jefferson, T. Higgins, someone who probably gets knocked down a little bit because of the quality of his teammates and just that there's so much garbage time for Clemson that his market share numbers are not going to show up in quite the same way. Uh, By contrast, you look at... uh, the Alabama guys coming in and how there were a lot of excuses made for them based on how loaded that Alabama team was. And then not everybody can catch a pass on every single play. And yet now it's starting to look like we should have been maybe more Mm -hmm. concerned and and not us, but the, the community in general that maybe neither one of those guys was the best player on that team as you track what's happening at Alabama this season and look at what these guys have done in the NFL. Now they've been placed on the Raiders and Broncos, which are not the easiest situations in which to thrive. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see KJ Hamler, you know, really break out next season as sort of a a Deshaun Jackson plus kind of guy. And and he hasn't had a huge season this year either. So to say, Oh, he's going to be awesome. And Jerry Judy is not a bust, but a, a disappointment. That is probably a little bit unfair. And yet when you look at these guys next to each other, there's no question that it's disappointing if you're a Jerry Judy owner and looking at what these other numbers are that people are putting up. And, you know, then when we look at, well, how early should their teammates be drafted this season, whether it's an LSU player, an Alabama player, you know, how does it factor in with Travis Etienne and some of those fellows? Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And that's one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to the Dynasty Rookie Guide, which you can now pre-order on the site had a huge interest in the first couple of days that that came out. But even more than that, just the, the rookie portion of the year is so much fun. And while I don't think this class is going to necessarily profile as being as deep, there's no question that this is one of the classes that has true superstars in it. And so 
you look at what's happened over the last six, seven years, we had the fun exercise on the site comparing uh, what's happened with players drafted in the top six versus players drafted in seven through 12 and how seven through 12 held their own really well because of the wide receivers that went in that range. You look at the last two years, number one, where Clyde Edwards-Alaire basically playing behind Le'Veon Bell today and like a version of Le'Veon Bell who can barely run forward, right? And then, <laughs> you know, you have... Uh, Josh Jacobs, who, I mean, he's not a bust by any stretch, very, very solid player, probably a slightly above average NFL starter. But if you're looking at a real number one overall pick for your dynasty roster, I think you've got to be disappointed with him as well. This 2021 group coming in, you're going to have multiple guys, I think, looking at as a true number one overall pick and superstars in the making. Yeah, I'm, the only thing that I want to say that's probably going to be contrarian, I, I, I don't know how contrarian this will be by the time draft, draft rolls around, I do think next year's incoming rookie class will probably beat that of 2014. Uh, it's just all these guys that we're excited about match every threshold that we're looking for here at Rotoviz. So I'm, I'm, I'm already ready to genuinely excited for the playoffs and then also the post-Super Bowl hype of a lot of these rookies are going to declare just because a lot of these guys tick the boxes, um, which is, you know, like I'm personally very, very excited for, for a lot of these guys. Um, and, and I know, uh, I'm going to definitely be looking forward to the dynasty command center guide, uh, as my first pass because, um, really the Travis May articles have been, uh, you know, you, you read him about describing a lot of these guys and, you know, players to watch out for. And it's just like, yeah, I just want Rondell Moore in the NFL like today. <laughs> yeah, Travis has been has been doing a, a great job. Anybody who hasn't checked it out, his his top one hundred. Familiarize yourself with the top one hundred guys, including some IDP players, and if you play in leagues like that, uh it it's been really cool. You don't want to miss it. All right. Before we get to our game this week, let's take a moment for a word from our sponsors. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month, according to Comscore. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The wait is finally over. Football is back. 
You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonus today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And we are going to be playing a new game today in honor of having Sean on the show. Uh, we're calling this one, I'm afraid I just blew myself, um, where we, we look at some running back performances and try to figure out, is this guy just Alfred Blue? So starting off, Tony Pollard ran the ball 12 times for 69 yards and two touchdowns, adding six catches for 63 more yards. To say not Alfred Blue here, right? Tony Pollard looking better than Ezekiel Elliott. Not that Elliott was making that hard, but looked better than him coming in. He's got that pass catching ability. When they struggled in this game was during the stretches where they de-emphasized him. Now only touched the ball or only carried the ball 12 times. That seemed like a little bit of a mistake, but even more, they went through some of these passing droughts where if they'd hit him for a few more targets, maybe you have those big plays. Probably not an every down guy, but when you bring in Pollard, you get explosiveness. When you bring in Alfred Blue, you've got a guy who, if it's blocked for four yards, is going to give you three. <laughs> Jeff Wilson rushed 16 times for 60 yards and a touchdown in this game. He also had four targets in the passing game, but was unable to come down with any of them. I'm going to go not Blue here as well, since Jeff Wilson has put up you know, multiple 20 plus point games. And, and you look at him today, you look at a lot of these 49ers guys. I mean, the Alfred Blue person at this point, very sadly, is Tevin Coleman. Wilson looks like he's shot out of a cannon. He can get into that end zone. Uh, just a few weeks ago, he was one of the guys averaging the most FPOE per game. It'd be interesting to see, Hassan, do you have any in-game speeds for us on Wilson? We know that Mostert has been hitting some really fast times. Wilson doesn't look that much slower. I unfortunately don't have, but I can pull them up uh, uh, right now. Um, but uh, uh, sorry, my NFL.com just crashed on me, so I don't have anything on that. But yeah, M- Mostert is someone who who Blair and I talked about a little bit last uh, last season around this time because he was a former track star and a wide receiver at Purdue turned running back. Literally the kind of profile that we're looking looking for. And, um, and, and, and we thought he'd be, he'd be like, uh, Jarek McKinnon light, but it turned out, he turned out to be the, uh, the promised Jarek McKinnon, right? So, <laughs> um, he's just, I mean, I, I don't know. He's, he's someone who you, uh, I guess really want. And I'm sorry, my, 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 uh, Chrome is not working. So, uh, if anyone who works high up at Google is, is, is listening by any chance, please help me. J.D. McKissick rushed 13 times for 51 yards, catching nine of his 10 targets for 56 additional yards and a touchdown. And uh, don't ask me how I know this, but it was his first receiving touchdown of the year. Blair, I think we might almost have to go with, I'm afraid I just blew myself on this one, right? (laughs) Every week, the EP report comes out, and McKissick is the least efficient player in the NFL. And yet, if you can be terrible at both facets to where your team is like, you know, we need to get somebody out there who can't run the ball and can't catch the ball or can't catch the ball and then run up field. 
right? Because McKissick is a big catch. He had nine out of ten today, uh, scored a touchdown. Larry, did you did you see today's touchdown? Was it was it a deserving one? I I didn't see it. I haven't caught that game yet. In in um in in, in Blair's defense and in your defense, uh, there there was a Peyton Barber touchdown, which also shouldn't have happened. So maybe McKissick could have had more. <laughs> well, we are rooting for him. We are starting him with no little embarrassment, and we need twenty six more points next week. Naheem Hines carried the ball five times for 43 yards, and he added two catches for an additional 11 yards. Well, we can't – anyone who runs in, in the low 4-3 is on the 40. We can't put in the alpha blue category. It was disappointing to see that Taylor was so good today and that somehow uh, the Colts and the Texans played this game. They scored a lot of points. They didn't stop each other a lot, but they also managed to run the clock out in a game that could have you know, been 40-40 been to 40 if they had simply – run more fun plays, right? So a missed opportunity for Hines, a missed opportunity for Deshaun Watson, and uh, not to criticize since he came through with a big game, Hassan, and I know that you would be fired up for the stat line, but Kiki Kuti killed us at the end. Instead of tying this game and forcing more action, he managed to fumble down there at the one. Yeah, that <laughs> was such a huge bummer because because uh, that's really what, what killed the game. We could have got OT. I really would have needed, I needed a big game out of Deshaun too. So not, not great, you know? It was disappointing. It was, it, if you have Watson in the dynasty league, I think you've got to be just so ridiculously excited when you see that what he can do with guys like Kuti and Chad Hansen, who, you know, might be a solid NFL player himself. Uh, his performance again today, I mean, the Texans were right there to defeat the Indianapolis Colts, a team that is so much better than they are. You know, we're looking at a lot of games with absolutely video game numbers from Watson in the future. AJ Dillon played just five snaps and carried the ball only once, but gained 18 yards. 18 yards. That's the big number there, right? 18 yards per carry. <laughs> we're not going to go with the, 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 Arrested Development one here because AJ Dillon, we want to continue to comp to Derrick Henry. If you own Dillon, like two and a half years from now, you're going to be like one week from cutting him and then he's going to emerge as the best running back in football. Every time I go back and look at Henry's numbers at his career arc, it, he seems to be a couple of games away from kind of getting washed out and yet, uh, you know, obviously now he's out there throwing people <laughs> around like he's a superhuman. So we're gonna we're gonna save AJ Dillon out of that category as well. So I just wanted to make this quick note that uh, Jamal Williams he missed the first half, like he missed the rest of the game against the Panthers because he injured his quad. And now that the that the Packers have wrapped up uh, the division, I mean, there's an outside shot they get the one seed, but maybe we see more Dillon down the stretch these next two games is, is what I'm thinking, right? Like you, they they're kind of hesitant to give Aaron like. To continue to give Aaron Jones 90 plus percent of the snaps as they head into the playoffs, potentially as a one seed, you know, wouldn't you think that you'd see like a lot more Dylan, especially in week, week 17 for sure? It's, it's kind of a funny situation here where every time I watch the Packers, it, it cracks me up that they drafted a quarterback number one and a running back number two. And at some point, you do <laughs> think that they're going to try and prove a little bit that those weren't just completely, we don't say wasted, but just, you know, crazy picks right to where if they had added some more talent they would be the super bowl 
favorites. This run here from Dylan was kind of funny to me because I'm a Dylan fan. I'd like to see him do well. I, I think the people who are criticizing his collegiate performance and within the context that it was there, we actually put up some huge numbers. He's a big guy. He's a great athlete. You know, it seems like really nitpicking to say this guy can't run because he didn't generate, you know, seven, eight, nine yards of carry. But it was funny at the end of this 18-yard gain to where it looked very Derrick Henry-ish, and yet at the end of it, it's like you need to put the foot down, make that one last move, drive off, and instead he kind of loses his balance and goes down easy. Now, again, that's in a lot of ways not that dissimilar to Henry, who when he gets going and people are hitting him up high, he's running through people like... (laughs) just the Terminator, Matthew Friedman, uh, looking at him as that guy coming out of college. And yet Henry is maybe the easiest guy to tackle around the ankles in the NFL, right? When he's not moving that fast. And so, you know, we want to see Dylan show a little bit more leg drive there, take that 18-yard gain and turn it into a 40-yard gain, because that's when you start to get the playing time as that style of back and Dylan probably in that same situation with Henry where he's not going to get a ton of receptions. And so if you're going to have any chance to be an impact fantasy player without receptions, you've got to be ripping off 20, 30, 40 yard gains like Henry does now. And to do that, you've got to, at the end of that 18 yard run, you've got to put the foot down and get some more. Darren Evans carried the ball eight times and he gained 30 yards and he hauled in both of his targets for 27 additional yards and a touchdown. Well, I don't know. I don't know if we want to go with Alfred Blue here because that sounds a little bit more explosive, but I do have to apologize to my co-owners in various leagues for forcing us to hold him to this point. (laughs) Now he would have, he would have scored more points than uh, Rashad Penny, which we played in chasing OT today. And, uh, you know, with a top 50 finish right now, any additional point would have come in very, very handy. But Evans, yeah, let's just stay healthy and be Alvin Kamara in 2021. Ito Smith led the Falcons backfield with six carries for 24 yards, catching two of his three targets for an additional nine yards. Oh, that's one. I'm afraid I just blew myself, right? That's the Ito <laughs> Smith, Alfred Blue. I, I like Ito better it's it's a tricky job to run the ball in the falcons backfield right now but they look like they're trotting out four five six alpha blues in that backfield every week <laughs> david montgomery rushed 32 times for 146 yards and two touchdowns in the bears's week 15 win over the vikings well this is like sub alpha blue morphing into walter payton right the, Dave Caven has this amazing strength of schedule tool on the site. It's not just what opposing teams are allowing. He's filtered in some second level metrics, adjusting for the types of schedule those teams are facing. So you can understand that, well, you know, if a team has faced five consecutive backup quarterbacks, then yeah, I mean, they're going to put up good numbers. That doesn't mean that when they face Aaron Rodgers, when they face Patrick Mahomes, they're going to shut those guys down. The strength of schedule tool Montgomery, the number 30 schedule through nine weeks, the number one schedule weeks 10 through 15. Now, he didn't play a couple of those weeks, but during this stretch, he went from a 12.5 point per game average to four consecutive running back one finishes. The defense that you play does matter, right? And we know that there are some predicted miss issues in part because injuries are going to decimate a defense. And yet, 
one of the reasons why Derrick Henry has been such an impact player as well when you contrast him to Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara is simply what that schedule is in the fantasy playoffs. So, you know, we hope that owners followed our advice, picked him up when he was almost free, and then the key is going to be to sell him this offseason. Montgomery is my Kenyon Drake pick, the guy who, and I think that Montgomery actually is better than Kenyon Drake, but if we look at someone who is going to have a fast finish and then be drafted, you know, three, four, five rounds or where they ahead of where they should be, then, you know, Montgomery could be that guy. And very much like Kenyon Drake, even if he's not good, he's going to continue to get that opportunity. And maybe the one thing this last month has proved is that if you have David Montgomery's opportunity, it really is impossible to average 12 points per game for the season. At some point, you're going to break free with a couple of touchdowns. Uh, Yeah, and I hate to take this detour here, but just to, to double down on this Kenyon Drake stuff, this guy was such a bad pick. <laughs> he had 10 carries today for 26 yards, and like a bunch of them came at the end when they were trying to kill the clock. Like he was god awful, and he was phased out when the game actually had a chance to to go the you know uh, to result in an Eagles win. So yeah, get if you own Montgomery, get him off your roster like ASAP. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Going actually back to Drake, that's interesting because it leads to another another guy I should have added to this Alfred Blue game. Uh, what are we doing with Eno Benjamin? Oh, the groan there for me was the fact that I have Eno Benjamin on us like every roster of mine in the DraftKings basketball tournament, and they're going out. Because Eno didn't play. Well, it wasn't his fault, but, uh, you know, I, it just was the, the thesis was right. I never, I never diversified there. Sure, taking some James Robinson. What, what are you going to do, huh? Well, with Eno, we continue to have a guy with the exact same resume and the exact same physical profile as Clyde Edwards Blair. And I think that the main thing the Cardinals would tell you is that they didn't draft him in the first round. So it's, it's a pretty big win mm-hmm. for them. <laughs> Cam Akers rushed 15 times for 63 yards, and the Rams' Week 15 loss to the Jets. Now, this is the other one that I haven't seen, so I don't know exactly how Akers got shut down. It was so promising a week ago, and I don't think that we can go with a guy who did what he did at Florida State, who is a good athlete, and put him in Alfred Blue territory, and yet uh, there are going to be frustrations, right, because the... Los Angeles Rams are a weird team. They're a weird team week to week in terms of their overall result. They're a weird team week to week in terms of what they want to do offensively. Darrell Henderson had a bunch of big time carries earlier this season and they refused to commit to him. Now, when we're looking at different profiles, if a guy can catch a little bit, then he can stay on the field. You don't have to take him out for a Malcolm Brown. And I think the receiving upside here is still what's going to make him someone who long term will challenge a DeAndre Swift, will challenge a Jonathan Taylor. It'll be interesting to see how those guys contrast with J.K. Dobbins, for example, who may end up being the most explosive of the bunch. But as long as there are no receptions for really anyone in the Ravens offense, then again, you have that ceiling that holds him down. But Akers here, any thoughts on on what he did this week and and why it was so ugly after what looked like a star-making performance a week ago? Yeah, I think he's a bit of a front-runner, right? Um, like the, the Rams themselves as a team are front runners. To lose to the Jets is, it, it really, sh- if anyone out there is still left thinking Sean McVay is an actual genius, you really re- need to rethink it because 
He's not. I mean, I mean, the, the guy when he's any successful counterpuncher when a game when it, when a, when the game strip gets a little side goes a little sideways, Sean McVay finds a way to just lose. Like there's just no chance of him like showing any resilience or grit and actually you know carving out a win here. Uh, Acres missed one series with an ankle tweak, um, and he had about 50 yards wiped away in penalties, including an 18 yard rushing touchdown but he doesn't get a lot of usage in the receiving game um so he's kind of reliant on those big runs Henderson hasn't been the same since he suffered an injury a few weeks ago they just decided to you know ramp down his his share but realistically probably a more optimal split would be like some kind of a 55 45 split neutral in neutral script between both Akers and Henderson and then like they can move to Akers as, as a hammer back um, I, I am cautiously optimistic on acres, but, um, you know, I mean, this, he seems to go the way the team goes, right? The second they fall into a hole, uh, well, it's no longer, they're not going to throw to the backs. They're going to throw to the tight ends. They're going to throw to cup. They're going to throw to woods. Uh, so he's a little bit more flow dependent than I thought he would be. Right. Yeah, I think perhaps that's right. Um, it's interesting. We've talked a lot about the other, a lot of the other rookie running backs in this class, Swift and Dylan and um, Dobbins, you just mentioned Sean and Taylor. Uh, where are you, do you have these guys ranked uh, for next year? I'm thinking specifically about guys who are going in about the same range um, this year in redraft, Akers, Swift, and Dobbins, all in about that sixth, seventh round range in redraft. Um, what does, what, uh, what does their season this year change about their valuation or how you're, how you're looking at them? I don't think it changes too much where we saw them coming in. I think that the slow development for all three of them is a little bit frustrating and certainly frustrating for dynasty owners who pick them ahead of these big time wide receivers because they naturally have a much smaller window, both in terms of when they're going to score the big points and how long their value will hold up to retrade them so that you don't end up holding them and then having just a, a hole in your roster where that trade value used to be. At the same time, what they're doing now is pretty encouraging. You're seeing the explosiveness from these players. All three guys were on teams who in 2019 were at or near the very bottom. I think they came in 30th, 31st, and 32nd in terms of receiving expected points to the running back position, right? So when you're looking at players being drafted in the top five of dynasty rookie drafts who don't have that natural receiving upside built in in terms of team scheme, that's a little bit of an issue. Now, at least with Swift and Akers, I think we can look at their selections as an attempt to address maybe weaknesses in the running back core that were keeping teams from passing to the running back. So I think that you have to have those guys with higher ceilings because the Ravens are not going to have that be an element for their offense. Now, at the same time, probably the guy with the most long-term upside here still is going to be Dobbins. He's got that elite speed. And the Baltimore Ravens, I think that there's a slightly better than 50-50 chance that we look in 2021 to an offense that is much more like the 2019 offense. We have a little bit of this fall off, maybe a sophomore slump for the offense as a whole, even though it's more than just, you know, one year to two year situation here, but could come back with a real vengeance. If that happens, then we're looking at 
a guy in Dobbins who could be Derrick Henry plus, right? They're going to do it in very different ways, very different size guys, very different running styles, but someone who could have the running back numbers and the touchdowns to rival what Henry's doing. Now, Lamar Jackson is the puts a, a ceiling on the running backs, both because he won't pass to them and because he can steal a lot of their thunder around the goal line and just in terms of overall rushing numbers. But if this offense gets back to being the most explosive offense in the NFL or gets back in that range with the Chiefs and some offenses like that, then the points that Dobbins can still point up, put up, even with the problems that come with that, you know, I, I think those numbers put him in front. But the other guys don't necessarily need that. I think Swift, we're seeing emerge as a star. Akers, even with the numbers today. And what Hassan pointed out, I mean, those numbers wiped off with the penalty, that touchdown, that changes how the week is scored. It doesn't really change, obviously, who he is. And so I think that the frustrating part here is going to always be that these players are not going to have quite the peak and they're not going to have the peak over as long a time as drafters were hoping, but they're going to be impact players in 2021. All right, let's move on to news item number three. Chris Godwin had four receptions for 36 yards and a score on five targets in the Bucks' Week 15 win over the Falcons. This is the second game in a row in which Godwin has been held to under 40 yards. So, Sean, with Antonio Brown sort of emerging as one of Tom Brady's favorite targets, um, are you at all worried about Godwin next week against Detroit in the uh, Fantasy Championship game? Well, yes and and no, in that if you're in the championship and you've been playing Godwin, that I don't think that what happened today really changes it. You know, he gets in the end zone, you see the offense emerge. He's probably still at this point a better player than Mike Evans, although it's it's close and Evans has things that he can do that very few other wide receivers in the NFL can do. We saw a couple of those big plays, those deep passes today, where it's just so hard to defend him on the vertical routes with his size. It does hurt Godwin to have someone like Antonio Brown come in and do more similar types of things. They're splitting up those targets a little bit more. And yet, I think the fact that we saw Tom Brady rally in this game and actually look okay. I mean, at this point, for Tom Brady, if he looks okay, and that's a win for either a Tom Brady owner or an owner of these wide receivers. The issue here. Uh, for Godwin, very similar to the Hawkinson owners, it's just, it feels like a massive missed opportunity. You go in and you look up his matchup analysis in the NFL Stat Explorer, and you can see this is one of his best opportunities all season, right? So to come in with this game where he doesn't have the yards, that is an issue. And if, if you had a, a different route to go, I think that you would do that. But when you're talking about the types of deep dynasty teams that a lot of people have that would be maybe making it to the finals instead of, in spite of Chris Godwin, they're going to still probably want to play Godwin and his upside in that championship game. The interesting question, I think, is is what happens going forward now that we've seen a little bit of a step back. In year three, Godwin really looked like a star, but now he's going to have three out of four years that are simply good and not elite level. One of the things when you pull up his career numbers in the Explorer, you see that his PPR per opportunity this season is not that far out of line with what it's been. 2018, two points per opportunity. Last year, 2.3, a number that's going to be hard to sustain for a lot of the reasons that we know with Jameis Winston creating this uh, fantasy 
Nirvana for the players while obviously making the Bucks not that great of a reality team. This year it's just fallen back down to two. Receivers can score a lot of points at that efficiency to volume ratio. You just need to make sure you have the volume with Godwin. He's been someone who's really beat up. And so the question you kind of have to ask yourself is this is actually an extremely impressive season to see him fight through these injuries and put up the numbers he's, he has, or would you prefer to turn the page on someone who does have some injuries and will really have to bounce back next season? One of the things with Godwin is that he came into the NFL very young. He's got that Juju Smith-Schuster element to him there where you might think that he's older than he is, you know, he's just going to turn 25. And so he has two or three more years in that range for a receiver where you could play him and then still trade him, right? And you can trade a star wide receiver at 27 and get a ton back. And so if this opportunity, if this off season provides a buy low opportunity, you're going to have to really look at that. So I think that his value this off season will be an interesting topic. Hassan, do you have a sense of where you think he's going to go. Do you think he's going to have one, be one of these guys where we see some trades on the one end where you're like, I can't believe people got him for that much. And on the other hand saying, you know, who would pay that for Chris Godwin at this point coming off the season he just had? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think a lot of those are going to be trades that will be made just to prove a point though. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think in a competitive league, you really do want to underplay Godwin. There's just, too many good wide receivers who are coming out into the NFL this year that I'd much rather have them and their upside. I'd much rather have guys like Ayuk and Higgins at this point too. And I'm saying this as a Penn State fan, you know, like, um, uh, you can erroneously look at Godwin and kind of like mentally comp him over to Arab, I guess, in some facet, if you're really willing to squint hard. Uh, left unsaid and all this is the fact that Mike Evans, ever since really getting healthy, has kind of taken away a lot of that, like, shine from Godwin again. And, like, we talked about this, you know, quite a bit last, that last year is Godwin is reliant on these big catch and runs to score TDs. It's what you want. You really need that. But the second that kind of stuff goes away, you know, it's not that great. Now you, you know, you're throwing Antonio Brown who, is sort of this AJ Green dampening effect kind of like that's kind of what he's doing right to Godwin. It's just, I'm going to see a lot. I think you're going to see a lot of um, trades all over the place for Godwin. For example, last year I tried to trade Godwin for DJ Moore uh, straight up was rejected. I traded him for Kirk and Robbie Anderson last year. It didn't work out, but for me now it, it looked like it worked out because Robbie's had a pretty solid year and it looks like him and that Panthers team is, is going to be fine. Um, out of curiosity, Sean, do you grade that as like a longer term win, as a push for both teams? Like, how do you see that kind of a trade working out? Man, it'd be so nice to see that as a pretty clear cut win. But Christian Kirk, I mean, Kyler Murray throwing the ball for huge numbers today. And we have to throw in there that if you had a chance to watch the game, Murray has, has these performances where the stats are fantastic. And yet at the end, you're trying to figure out what happened because there were so many other plays, easy plays there that he didn't make. And I think that that can be hurting Kirk. But when you look at the volume in this receiving offense recently and just that he's a complete no show, it, mm-hmm. it, it's frustrating, right? And we, we now are kind of past the time where we can continue to make excuses for Kirk not taking that next step. For a while, it was injuries and people didn't realize how well he'd actually played and what his numbers paced out to. His 
2020 is going to go down as, as one of the big disappointments, I think. And one of the cool elements that you can pull up in the NFL Stat Explorer is to see the location of the targets and where people are getting volume, where they're efficient, where they're inefficient, and how things have changed year to year. So if you pull up the location chart for DeAndre Hopkins or Christian Kirk, one of the things that jumps out is that there is no creativity in terms of how they're being deployed. And so if teams want to scheme them away in one way, shape, or form, they can. Now, with DeAndre Hopkins, he's such a transcendent star that even if teams know where he's going to be, know what routes he's going to run, know what the Cardinals are going to try and do, and drop more people over the top of him, he can still make those plays. And we saw that today <coughs> with not only a huge fantasy number, but a touchdown that really defied belief, right? Christian Kirk, we're not seeing that same kind of thing from him. Some of the most frustrating plays uh, this season have been either an end zone target for Kirk where Murray missed him or an end zone target for Kirk where he dropped the ball, right? And so those two guys definitely not on the same page. By contrast, the Robbie Allen, I mean, the Robbie Anderson version of that trade does seem like genius. Uh, He's someone who broke out as a second year player despite being undrafted and you have this elite speed with him It'll be interesting to see what the Panthers do long-term. There have been some stretches of frustration for Anderson, some stretches of frustration for Moore. I love both of those guys. I think this offense with Christian McCaffrey can be a lot of fun. It is frustrating and concerning to watch them play with Teddy Bridgewater, who simply doesn't have the arm to take advantage of the athleticism that those guys have. And so I don't know that the Panthers are really in a position where they can move off of him that easily. And yet you're hoping that they do because um, this could be just a crazy team with the speed and the athleticism they have at wideout. DJ Moore, again, coming back from injury and from being on the COVID list and just looking unstoppable in the game of the night on a week where the entire rest of his team was adding nothing, right? So the defense didn't have to worry about anything else. I like Robbie Anderson. I think that even though now, you know, there's going to be this temptation to flip him because of his age and because of the fact that he had a season people weren't expecting, you know, it'll be a tricky decision this offseason because the fact of the matter is he could have another couple of very good seasons. And, you know, where is his trade value? Can you really sell him for something that's going to be worth more than what you're just going to get from him? Yeah, I don't think people see Robbie the same way, right? And I think that that makes um, people who have Robbie aren't going to sell him cheap. People who are, you know, trying to buy Robbie cheap are going to be surprised at what it's going to cost them. Um, I will tell you, it probably is going to cost something like J.K. Dobbins for me. Um, just I just rarely ever buy these running backs, so um, that's kind of where I would be begging his value, if only because I, I push him really way down in Dynasty, right? I don't know about you guys. Or if that's too aggressive, but I do see Curtis Samuel walking in free agency. Um, and here's a guy who would make for a pretty interesting buy as well from a dynasty perspective is Marquise Brown, who finished with six catches for 98 yards during the Ravens' win over the Jaguars. You know, he was one of our favorite second-year wide receivers heading into the season, but this marks his highest yardage total since week one. And he ranks outside the top 36 wide receivers in PPR scoring. Sean, are you still bullish on Brown taking, uh, you know, the next step or is he destined for this low volume boomer bust role? You know, that's more, that's just not like the, doesn't hold as high of a value in traditional starts of leagues. 
Well, the the issue for him is that it's not even really that low volume of role, but it definitely is boom or bust because Lamar Jackson's accuracy has dipped to the point where all of the naysayers, all of the people who were concerned about him as an NFL quarterback, all of these NFL GMs that let him fall to the end of the first round, you know, teams who selected uh, just, you know, some absurd other quarterbacks ahead of him, you know, they're sitting around looking at themselves and saying, well, you know, obviously it would have been much better if we had drafted him. And yet our concerns were on the money. I mean, he misses guys by five and 10 yards, right? And so one of the things that really stands out when you watch the Ravens is just how frustrated Marquise Brown is and how bad his body language is on a lot of these targets that are nowhere near him. If you look at it purely from a target perspective, you've actually got to be kind of excited about it, right? He's got 80 targets. He's got almost 1,100 air yards, you know, coming into the game. He's someone where the target market share is in the 25% range. His yards per reception has actually jumped more than a yard from last season. Now, again, that's within the context of a lot of the passes are simply incomplete, right? And his PPR per opportunity has dropped from 2.1, which is very playable, even if it's a a boom or bust kind of situation, down to a 1.5 where you're in that, okay, well, do we have to cut him range? And Curtis and I drafted him in the first round. I mean, in the, not in the first round, thankfully. We drafted him in the fifth round of one of our two teams and ended up cutting him midseason. And that team now, unless Jarvis Landry doesn't score any points, I think is going to also be in the top 100 after tonight's games. So, you know, if if you're looking at Brown, he needs to be in this group of receivers where you could potentially start other guys. I think that a lot of the peripherals are still very positive. I think the speed is positive. One of the things we saw last year were some circus catches. We haven't seen as much of that. And I think that in order to play someone with Lamar Jackson, you need them to be able to do all kinds of star level types of things because he's going to make it difficult on that receiver. And when we look to next season, you're really kind of put in that same dilemma that you have with Dobbins, with Mark Andrews, where you know there are going to be some limitations to the ceiling structurally with that Ravens offense. Are they going to be able to score enough points to overcome that kind of thing? I think the the situation with Brown is he's very clearly below Dobbins and Andrews in terms of where you would expect the touchdowns to come from in 2021. And so that's something that you're going to always have to deal with. At the same time, if you can get him cheaply enough, and in some situations you'll be able to, I mean, redraft, he was a cuttable kind of guy a month ago. In Dynasty, people wouldn't have been cutting him, but they may see these games to finish the season as an opportunity to get out. And depending on just how low the price falls, I think you can definitely take a risk on someone who has good peripherals, was a first-round draft pick, and is in an offense that's going to score a lot of points, even if 2020 has been disappointing in that regard. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that it's not really a low-volume role. I was actually surprised. I was looking back um, before we started recording at his at his targets, and like you said, they're decent, but his receptions are, you know, he has a bunch of games with two receptions, three receptions, one reception. I mean, yeah, obviously the Ravens are a team that I've probably watched the most this season, and you can tell for sure that Lamar Jackson's accuracy is not even as good as it was last year, which even then wasn't good. Um, 
and you can see that with someone like Mark Andrews too. Um, I, it sounds like you're pretty pretty bullish on this offense as a whole going into 2021. Is something like are these accuracy issues something that you think you would expect uh, to bounce back to even um, kind of the 2019 levels or even improve from there? Uh, I mean, you know, I'm thinking of someone like Josh Allen this season who I haven't watched as much of, um, but he's someone who coming into the league had the same kind of problems with inaccuracy and even in his rookie year and his sophomore year, you saw some of that. Um, and I don't know if he's totally corrected it, but he's definitely throwing the ball much better this year. So, um, is it something where kind of long-term growth in this offense is something we should look out for and perhaps be buying Marquise Brown just on that basis? Or is that, um, am I being too optimistic? That might be a little bit optimistic on that specific element of Lamar Jackson's play. Mm-hmm. I think those two guys are on different trajectories, even though they have similar issues. And with Josh Allen, one of the things that we know right off the bat is that accuracy is not one of those things that tends to improve a lot. And it's one of the reasons why these college quarterbacks with big arms are drafted and then bust because you just can't fix them. Josh Allen, a little bit, I mean, you're always going to have some exceptions and Josh Allen to an extent is an exception. At the same time, I think he's someone who has a fantastic arm, has that athleticism to extend the play and then has really grown within the offense to where a lot of the inaccurate balls in the first couple of years are situations where he's rushed mentally, doesn't understand what the defense is doing, doesn't have confidence in his receivers. And coming into 2020, he had played with a poor receiving core. Right. And so then you add mm-hmm. Stefan Diggs and I mean, that's like adding Antonio Brown. You're going to look very, very different in his trajectory there where he's taking steps forward and is emerging about on schedule for someone who had those problems. I mean, really what you want is someone like Patrick Mahomes or Andrew Luck, players who come in and are fairly dominant right from the beginning. You know, players like Herbert, players like Joe Burrow. I mean, Burrow has had some struggles this year, but what he has done within the context of that Bengals offense being and overall team being an utter train wreck, it's astonishing, right? And so you want your stars to come in and look like stars. But for someone like Josh Allen, who like the best case scenario is what he's done, then that's the trajectory you want to see. With the Ravens and with Jackson, we saw him come out and be just unstoppable as a runner. We saw in year two take this next step where defenses just didn't have any sense of how to counteract what he could do with a runner. And then as it opened up his receivers on their different routes and these different big play opportunities. The problem that the Ravens have is that once defenses started to take that away, we're not seeing the Ravens make great adjustments. We're not seeing a quarterback who can really throw the ball accurately enough to do anything other than take almost this college type offense where you're throwing to guys who are wide open and you can take it kind of easy. You can lob it in there. You can get the ball to a guy who doesn't have defenders around them to make the play. Once those windows are a little bit tighter, you're seeing this panic type of situation where Jackson just doesn't have the accuracy to get the ball in there. And one of the reasons why I think that we're going to see the offense improve next year, but there are some questions or there are concerns, is that when you hear players on the offense start to make excuses where they're saying, okay, well, the defense knows exactly what we're doing. Now, that's a concern because it, it both shows a lack of confidence in the players and their own ability to make the plays, but also in their coaching staff. So, you know, are the Ravens going to address those kinds of things? But then also, 
as opposed to the situation with Josh Allen, where Stefan Diggs came in and helped elevate him to star status, you really have almost a passive aggressive kind of relationship between Marquise Brown and Lamar Jackson, where Jackson is out there saying in the media, okay, you know, we need to get Antonio Brown. We need to bring in some star receivers. So I have someone to throw to. And Marquise Brown is saying like, what's the point of me running all these routes and getting these deep targets? If you know, Hmm. I'm not going to get just an overall target volume where I'm not going to be used in a way that allows us to win. And we had some games in there where Brown's putting up zeros, right? Where if you started him and needed like two points to win your league, you're going to come down to the fourth quarter and be like, well, am I going to get any points at all? And that's both a problem for fantasy owners, but it's also a problem in this reality perspective where these guys seem to be blaming the problems on each other. And I think that they'll overcome that. I think they'll both, I mean, Lamar Jackson, obviously a star as a fantasy player. I think we're going to see a better performance next year, but those are all things to keep an eye on because they're not exactly what you want to see from young emerging players. Yeah, the the weirdest thing, uh, or I guess the weirdest use of the Ravens' draft capital was J.K. Dobbins, right? Um, because I'm trying to see who he went earlier, or at least earlier, like um, where they took him. I'm trying to see exactly who, or at least which wide receivers went later than he did, because um, it's clear they could have used a hand. Like I guess Denzel Mims might be the name that really jumps off to me here. Ahead of everybody else, but I don't, I'm not too sure if, if Mims would really have been the guy who would have been like that extra help. It seems like uh, a lot of the NFL drafted pretty efficiently as far as wide receivers were concerned. Um, so Sean, do you think Mims would have been a good help for like Lamar Jackson and potentially a, another threat, like someone who helps take the pressure off Marquise? Or do you think really the, this is sort of where the Ravens should just look to Mark Andrews? as their primary pass catcher and kind of shift uh, Andrews more as a Kelsey type of player and use Marquis more like uh, the the Chiefs, the way the Chiefs use Hill. You think that that's a good one-to-one? I think so. And I think that that's what Brown wants the team to think and wants his quarterback to think. That, you know, if we have this Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey setup, why are we not using me that way why am I not the breakout star and you know why is my quarterback saying we need more weapons as opposed to making more accurate throws to me when I'm wide open right and so the frustration there between the two is is a pretty big red flag for me at the same time that I do think that we're going to see this offense take the next step next year even if they don't add and you know you do have some other athletic guys out there again that the Ravens have prioritized speed around Jackson, because when you have more speed out there, it makes it even more difficult to deal with his rushing. The defense is stretched so much horizontally, horizontally <laughs> and vertically that he, you know, there's, it becomes more difficult to spy on him or just do the things you need to do to make sure he doesn't break out for these, you know, 20, 30, 40 yard runs. And, you know, we, we've seen that over the last couple of weeks, some of those types of plays are back in the offense. But yeah, I, that's not exactly what you're saying. I, I think that that is true. I think that they will make some moves at wide receiver to try and placate Jackson at the same time that they really do continue to look for Brown to be the number one guy there, even if it remains more or develops long-term more as a Deshaun Jackson kind of player as opposed to someone who is going to be a T.Y. Hilton or a Marvin Harrison or a Stefan Diggs or, or someone like that. 
All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Please remember to rate and review the Rotoviz Radio channel on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to our guest, John Siegel. For Hassan Rahim, I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening.